0: Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostraser. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Allie will be joining us in a minute, my co-host Allie Privet. Um, We are going beyond the score in this series, and I've got a great guest today that Allie and I will be chatting with. But before we go there, make sure you head over to disrupteducation.co or connect with Allie and I in the notes. We, We are all over social medias and our websites and We offer a lot of different things for educators uh, worldwide, so check those links out when you get a shot. Do me uh, also a favor and go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. We'd love to have you as a subscriber. Uh, All that means is you're going to be the first one to be notified when you hear that a new podcast comes out every Wednesday morning at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern Time here in the United States. On today's podcast, which is a proud part of the EdUp Up uh, Experience podcast network, um, we have Natalie Varda Basso. I always say that wrong, but she shows, she'll tell me how to say it correctly in the episode. It's a pretty funny story. So, uh, Natalie is an educator, speaker, a change agent uh, around assessment, grading, equity, and inclusion, and um, you know she strives to create an inclusive culture that fosters authentic learning towards the achievement of meaningful outcomes. And she is all about intentional prototyping of instructional design and assessment practices. Uh, it's it, This is a great conversation because uh, we're going beyond the score and uh, she's going to go deep into going beyond the score and even how you have to negotiate with students uh, to get them out of the traditional way of thinking. So, This is a wonderful conversation. We're so glad you're with us. Hang tight. We'll be right back with a few words from our sponsors. Hey, Disrupt Education listeners. I wanted to talk about District Zero here for a minute. What is District Zero? It's a student led social and emotional learning platform. I got to tell you, within the first 15 days, that I've used this in my classrooms. I've empowered my learners to achieve self-awareness, resiliency, and improved emotional climate across the learner groups that I had in that classroom. I gotta tell you, Huzair Hussein is the founder, and this is what he had to say about it.
1: If you wanna see self-awareness and improved emotional climate in your classroom within two weeks, try this program out. You can sign up right now. It's totally free to get going, invite your kids, and you're going to start to get that impact data. And if you feel like this is something in your organization or if your principal starts to see this data or your peers start to say, hey, this is something we'd like to keep moving forward, talk to this team. Get set up with their enterprise team. They're going to make sure that you guys are measuring the right KPIs, that you guys are getting to the right impact according to your school. You're also going to get measurable impact which is something that gives your students something to work towards, whatever curriculum they're working on, whether you're a CS teacher, whether you're an arts teacher, all of our students are facing what are called blockers. And we all have different blockers, but this system will help, your students and you as a leader what are blockers and how to overcome them and how to keep moving forward towards our goals
0: so do yourself a favor listen to the podcast here and after you do that head to the notes check out the district zero link click on it and learn more about this amazing platform i spoke to precious who is a junior in high school and she talked about her experiences with spikeview
2: almost every day we get emails of students in our school getting accepted to different colleges to different internships. And I feel like every school will want to see their student thrive and go to big universities and go to different um, opportunities like different internships, apprenticeships, and all that stuff. And Spike View is definitely an opportunity that teachers would take because it's a place where all the students can organize all their things, all their accomplishments they did in their life. And they can use this to build up their resume for college or internships, like I said before, to continue all the way into their senior year. And they already have such a big bowl of all the things they've done in one place. So when it comes to the college application process, it's all there for them. And they can just all list it down. and just be easier.
0: Drop me a message here on the podcast or head over to spikeview.com to learn more about this incredible platform that's helping our youth own their learning journeys. Welcome back to Go Beyond the Score series. I'm here with Ali Privet. Allie, how are you?
2: Well, despite some technical difficulties, <laughs> we are here, um, <laughs> but uh, we made it. It's a beautiful uh, fall day here in Northern Wisconsin. Um, I went to my first skydiving uh, wedding this weekend.
0: Wow. This so, it,
2: you know, was cool. The, the bride had a parachute um dress, which was very on brand, so it was it was exciting for all everyone who's been following my skydiving tales. It just add to added to the ambiance of, of that. So how about you, Peter?
0: Um, I was not jumping out of planes. Um, it's interesting. I, I think. Wow. Now I'm thinking like, what else can we do jumping out of planes Like is just getting amazing. Um, no not much uh just been you know uh actually working with a lot of my students um the last series that we had with the students the uh you know the three amazing students that we talked to is uh something i'm bringing into classrooms um and having the students react and and chat with uh, each other about that it's it's so amazing um and at the time of this recording olivia's is going out tomorrow so um yeah it's it's amazing to see the students react to each other um, but in this series, we are going to the educator side, um, and we have a wonderful guest with us uh, today. Uh, her name is Natalie Varda ba- Basso. I knew I would screw that up <laughs> saying that in the middle. Uh, uh, she, she's an educator, speaker, change agent. Uh, I like assessment, grading, equity, inclusion. There's this thing called empowerment ecosystem, and she's also uh, a podcaster with the Edu Crush. I see. I can't say that because I'm now I'm drinking <laughs> too much coffee, Natalie. But Natalie, <laughs> thank you so much for being here with Allie and I. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great. Fun fact about my last name: I'm going to teach you right now, and you're never, you will never ever mess it up again. So if you switch the B and the D, if you look at my last name right now, you switch the B and the D. It becomes Bar Badasso. So, oh. Now you know. <laughs>
0: There, that is. I will never forget. Allie, come yeah, on, you're that's welcome. awesome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, mean, I love it.
0: <laughs> so, tell us a little bit. I mean, that was a little bit of an introduction, but tell us a little yeah. bit, like uh, about you know what you're doing now, and a little bit of your, your history um, going backwards, um, because yeah. we're talking about going beyond the score on this series, and obviously talking about educators. You're right in the middle of that, and we met um, with the teachers going gradeless uh, kind of community meet, which is a great Mm -hmm. uh, place to look, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
3: Yeah. Well, I'll give you the, the, the educational journey story. Um, I've been teaching for, I taught for six years in the classroom, started at high school and then eventually moved to middle school, mostly teaching humanities, but. I was saying before we hit record i sprinkled all kinds of interesting electives in there because i've got this creative builder side of me i can't really turn off one of my favorite ones was called move like michael <laughs> so we learned all the different dance moves of michael jackson while also understanding the cultural context of where those moves came from so there's a bit of research a lot of dance lots of moonwalking um and then eventually i moved into instructional coaching and did that for a couple of years and I always say that through all of my experiences, the thread that connects them, and it was also a loose thread that I like to tug on, was assessment. And I felt like if education was this well-worn sweater, assessment was this loose thread. And the more I tugged on it, the more things unraveled, but in the best way possible, and revealed this dynamic beauty of education. Um, so eventually that passion and interest put me into an assessment leadership position. And so that's what I was doing for the past three years worked in a K to 12 context and started the journey towards, I guess what would be defined as in Canada, outcomes-based grading in the States, I think you call it standards-based grading. Um, But after three years and some really exciting, exciting changes that came from the grassroots and were really owned by the teachers, I got that little creative, edge again, where I wanted to do something and I wanted to build something. So I decided to go independent and start doing more consulting and speaking. And I, I work with a company called solution tree, which is based down in the States, but on the side of all that, I also built my own program called the empowerment ecosystem. And it's for those change agents that were like me in schools that wanted to tug on that thread, but I know firsthand how lonely and isolating and at times demoralizing that can be. So not only am I creating a a space for them, a community and a cohort to have others to, you know, commiserate with at times and to learn from and get feedback from, but also offering them a roadmap for how can we look at assessment and grading differently and do it in a way that actually gets people to want to take up the change and doesn't just become another mandate that gets cast aside after a couple of years. So that's where I'm at now.
0: Ellie <laughs> she knows mandate. She heard, I heard mandate in there, and I'm like, <laughs> what do you think?
2: I I was really interested. I mean, like, your, your whole story sounds, like, super fascinating. And, like, the thread piece, I'm just super intrigued by in terms of, like you said, that, you know, when you pulled on the thread, other pieces started to unravel. So, yeah. you know, because this series is really – you know about disrupting. I mean, well, the whole podcast is on disrupting education, but also like going beyond the score. Was that kind of like what you felt like when you tugged on that assessment thread? That mm. um, like you had to change uh, how you even looked at assessment. Or can you speak like a little bit more about you know that and how like what kind of came like dethreaded? What came unravelled <laughs> during during
3: that time? Short answer. <laughs> Everything. (laughs) And that's actually the reason I started with that analogy was one of my colleagues at the time, Cam, was the first one that brought it up because it truly does start to unravel all of the things that we've collectively believed to be true about school. And if we're going to talk about, you know, going beyond the score, if I go all the way back, I think what I've been having to unravel and I should say even unlearn in my own brain is that learning is not a process in which we figure out how many points away from perfect we are. And that was my entire K to 12 experience. I had very competitive parents. We were a tennis family and I'd get home from school every day. And my dad would say, did he ace it? That was his first question every single day. And if I said no, and then he'd say, okay, what was the score? His next question without fail would be, and you know, we all know the joke, what happened to the other three points? (laughs) So everything became about that. And when I think about how that's transferred into my adult life, I feel like the perfectionism that I'm always trying to unlearn came from that experience um i think even on things like social media you know you post something and you're seeing how many likes you got and you're comparing it to that one viral tweet you had that one time you're always in this comparison paralysis i think all of that is a part of the unravel but i think when you go beyond the score that's when you actually get to be in community and to make mistakes and to try things and to have agency so lots of unraveling but as those things it's like a symbiotic unravel whereas one thing's one thing unravels another thing is exposed and i'm at one point in my journey but i truly believe it's one of those things where it'll just keep unraveling for the rest of the time that i choose to tug on it
0: but going to (laughs) that that unraveling um so there had to be something i think a lot of us teachers and i know Allie and i've had this conversation on previous podcasts about you know when you see something in there, there's, there's this opportunity and it shows itself in the system, right? And, and you start to create something and then, but it's not enough, right? There's, it's not enough to actually keep going or there's there's a, a door that's shut. Um, did that, is there any stories like that that, that happened mm-hmm. with you, um, you know, before you went all the way to understanding like your empowerment ecosystem that, that you've created?
3: I think the biggest one, and this is a story I hear again and again from anyone who wants to try things differently, is we're often caught off guard by when we discover a new practice that we read literature about and it says, you know, students are going to have agency and be much more empowered and be so engaged. And the first time I tried something new, it was halfway through the semester. So I rolled out this new approach was like, we're not going to be creating feedback and we're going to come together at the end of the experience. And you know, decide what that grade is. And what catches you off guard, I think sometimes is how much the students defend and want to cling to those old practices. And you're like, but I'm liberating you. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, "Um, no. And then the, the, so I always sat with it though. I was like, okay, let's talk about it. I had one group that was especially resistant to it. Um, They were kind of coined the smart group, which, you know, already creates a whole bunch of fixed mindset. And I said, fine, let's debate it. You bring your best. I will bring my research. I'll bring my reading. You bring your reading. And the biggest argument that they had, which as soon as they said it, I'm like, do you hear that? They're like, yeah, it's really not that good. Yeah. They're like, but we really like when the teacher's at the front of the room and they give us worksheets because then it's like, we have a lot more time to like hang out with our friends and, and chat. And then like, and I was like, really, <laughs> this is your A game. This is no. So I think that's the biggest one is always trying to negotiate the conditioning that students have had from being in the school system for so long. Um, especially if you're the only one on your team or in your department that's thinking about it differently, they're like, "Mm, I don't know about this, because ultimately the industrial model of school that we're trying to move away from, because we're now in the fourth industrial revolution, is a lot easier. Like It's not nearly as complex as what is required for the world of work today.
0: I actually said that today. I am freeing your minds. I literally verbatim Natalie said that to my class, <laughs> so nailed it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Were you unplugging them from the matrix? Trying to, <laughs> trying.
0: But that was exactly the way it went today. Um, and I that's and, and I, I I openly have that conversation with my students. I I try to get them to see the bigger picture and see how they have been trained to become mm-hmm. lemmings. Um, and it, you're right. It's absolutely right. I get occasionally I'll get an email from a student who has left, you know, has graduated and said, thank you. Oh my gosh, I saw what you're doing. But when they're in the system, they, they really are worn down to the point to, Mm -hmm. they do want the worksheets and they do want Mm -hmm. to check the box. And we know that that doesn't do it. I don't know. Did you run into that, Mm -hmm. Ellie, uh, where you were?
2: So it's interesting that you like, and I'm also interested in, you know, your your experience with standard based um grading and 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 all of that because in terms of like pushing the system so there was a teacher who was hired the year or two before me and when so when i started at this school i was only a year this is my fourth year teaching and i was at a you know pretty big one of the top school districts in missouri and um so i was very excited to be part of it and i didn't want to do anything to like jeopardize my job and so i was like following like the status quo right Mm -hmm. like how i'd been Mm -hmm. kind of taught and 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 modeled and and what fit with with the other chemistry teachers um at the time well Mm -hmm. there was this one teacher and they were working on standards-based grading and they were actually hired to bring that model to our school that was like one of the selling points of Mm -hmm. of them coming but after like three years they did it and i mean. It wasn't just the students that never bought into the system. And there could have been other other factors on, like, why it didn't work. But the parents were ferocious. Um, mm-hmm. Admin stopped supporting them after about the first year and a half because the results weren't there. Um, and, you know, they kept they, – they really wanted, you know, this certain – uh, you know, the, the parents were frustrated. The kids were frustrated because you know, like you basically had to show what you know, and then you had to fit it into the ABCDF system. And there was a lot of jostling and tension there. So,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I it's hard to be a pioneer or a change agent or all these mm-hmm. things. And so, I'm interested in like, you know, besides just the challenges, like. How have you been able to kind of create space or disrupt the this industrial model in the work yeah. that you're
3: doing? I was recently introduced um, to a theory of change by Margaret Wheatley. I think she goes by Meg. Meg Wheatley. I don't know if either of you are familiar, but she talks about the the six circle theory of change. And the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that perfectly captures how I approach my work because. We've got three circles above the line and those are process structure and strategy. And that's usually where change initiatives lie. And when I first started down the path, I was like, okay, what's the process? What's step one? What's step two? And one of the biggest change theorists out there is John Cotter, and he's got his eight step theory of change. And it comes from his research, mostly in a business capacity. And it's a very top-down approach in some ways still, where you know what the change is going to be. You create urgency by telling people it's coming, and then you work backwards to achieve it. And when I think about something like standards-based grading, I think that's sometimes where the biggest problem lies, is that we get so caught up on the thing, defining the thing and saying, okay, district, we're doing standards-based grading. You have two years, and then you've got teachers freaking out. You've got parents freaking out. And it's not even about the actual ethos or the essence of what that's about supposed to be. It's just about implementing the solution, but not even having a clear picture of what the problem is. And so what I love about her theory is she's got a line and then below it, she has three different circles and they say information, identity and relationship and those circles actually point up and inform the circles above and when i think about what worked so well in my setting it was actually what most pissed me off about my job but looking back i'm like man someone designed that well because it actually worked out because i wasn't an official leader i didn't have any official authority i was Mm -hmm. given some release time from the classroom but i wasn't an administrator i didn't have anyone on my team and that's where it started from so i truly had to get scrappy and think about, okay, let's let's bring some people together and let's just talk about assessment. And I didn't know what the end goal looked like either. The strat plan just said, create a new balanced assessment framework and aligned progress reporting system. They also had one year for that. That's a whole nother conversation about we vastly underestimate how long change takes. But I said, okay, that could be anything. And I don't actually have a solution that I'm seeking to shove into this Strategy, And I also am releasing myself from this construct of time, because we just need to get rid of that and education a little bit too. And I built with people, we just co-constructed. And I think that is something I wish more people in the change space, in the leadership space, would take seriously, that change is an emergent process. We have to sense and we have to just like with we do with learners. We construct learning socially. So when we think of change, is this, okay, we're going to do this and work backwards and just get there and, and name the thing and then hit the, whatever we think the problem is with the thing, even if it's not the right problem that we're trying to solve. And so by the end of it, I've since come to say, okay, I would define what we did as outcomes-based assessment and reporting and grading. But it was so unique in K to three, in four to eight, in nine to 12, because they completely co-constructed it themselves. And we got into this experimental mindset where when we released it, we called it a prototype. I was very much like, this is design. This is how design works. We don't have a perfect. And we'd started a conversation with parents years before so that we were intentionally using their language and that goes back to the information piece of wheatley's model how you communicate to each group is so important and you have to actually invest the time then to sit and listen to them first what are the problems what are they facing what are they frustrated about this is like you know you talk about the world of work peter and jobs for the future like marketing is one of the biggest industries right now in the world of work it's creative and it involves listening and having humility So at the core of all of what I'm trying to say, a bit of a long-winded answer is just take up co-creation and listen first, and then let change be emergent rather than a solution that we just try to shove in without even understanding the problem
0: that's uh eloquently put because uh, i mean ellie and i have talked about capacity and and you know the the time frames and and those things and i'm a very process guy like i i see processes and i think that's why i'm driven to craziness every day in school <laughs> because the processes are absolutely mm-hmm. interesting let me just keep it there and keep it nice yeah. today but um so as as we build through you know these small ecosystems in classrooms and in schools and then so the the bigger question is so natalie how do you how do you see a school like what what does it look like to you when it's running pretty well versus Mm -hmm. you know and and maybe we can focus on secondary i mean you can you can focus on primary i think Allie and i are more secondary uh, educators Mm -hmm. high school but yeah what what does that look like and maybe a little bit mm. about your dream school what what does that oh, look like in, in that i mean i almost i'm thinking about a few things and i'm wondering if you're going to say <laughs> them but
3: uh well first of all i don't know if you've ever been to high tech high in san diego yeah you're nodding i, I feel been like there, since, but i know oh I you've know heard of it, it? Yeah. i've been lucky enough to experience it twice so i feel like i'm always a little bit tainted and my <laughs> image of what the dream school is because they're doing so many cool things mm-hmm. but drawing from a lot of their practices i think first and foremost we have to get very clear about what we mean when we say foundational i don't think we have fully done the flip that's required yet in fact so i was my last uh, podcast interview was a researcher here from mount Royal university in calgary and he talked about they did this massive citywide study study and that's how we came to work together because i'm consulting on the project as an assessment consultant but they're looking at what are the skills that are most in demand in the city right now, but hard to find. So we have this huge gap and people say they have them on their resume and then they get to the job and they actually don't. And so it's things like creative thinking. And he went on to say, these are enabling skills. And I was like, interesting, because I'm like, we say 21st competencies, you know, in education. So what do you mean when you say enabling? And he said, because those are the skills that you need across every industry. And they enable you to be able to constantly upskill because that's what's required. So he's like, those are foundational. That's a non-negotiable. And he's like, unfortunately, K to 12 and universities aren't taking them seriously. So now we're, we're having to put systems and processes in place at the city level, which is cool. And I'm a part of this amazing project. But I'm like, why aren't we doing this (laughs) in K to 12? And I think it's because we're refusing to let go of this idea that the foundational skills are, you know, the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And sure, there's a space and a time for those, but it's those other enabling skills that have to be at the foundation. So I'd love to see accountability structures built around that, which then opens up an interesting conversation because you can't assess things like creative thinking with a multiple choice exam. (laughs) So (laughs) suddenly you're gonna have to think differently. And if we're thinking about credentials, what if there was multiple credentials? What if there is a portfolio that follows students through university and they're gathering evidence of these skills because we have to be accountable to them and they're earning different credentials based on those skills that they've developed with evidence to show that they have that competency. And, And then I think it opens up a really cool space where What if we had a process where students were empowered to tell their story? And I know with Spike View, I've listened to your podcast before, there's different tech tools out there to do that. But just like that human side of, imagine standing up in front of your community and this is something High Tech High does so well at the end of a project. They bring in the family members, they bring in all the teachers, peers, and they actually get like this dialogic assessment happening where the student's talking about their story, talking about what they learned, advocating for what next steps are. If we could find our voice earlier on and disrupt that culture of compliance, like think how many less people-pleasers there'd be, think how much less we'd need to be seeking validation from others, how quicker, how much faster we'd know what it is that we actually want to do and start taking steps to achieve it. And I think we have to start personalizing sooner. So you could totally cut me off here if you're like, no, absolutely not, because some people don't love this idea, but I think we don't let students personalize soon enough in or specialize soon enough in high yeah. school. Oh, I think maybe. I knew by the time I was like 12, I was like, I'm going to be going down the humanities route. That's where my heart and soul is. I don't think we need to do as much breadth as we think we do in high school. <laughs> I really think they could just start to say, this is it. And I'm going to, and if those enabling skills are the accountability piece, you don't have to be exposed to everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it, that construct disappears. So I think that would be an interesting thing to explore as well.
0: Sounds like something our three students said, Allie.
2: I'm, I'm like sitting here. I'm like, this is exactly what the the current students are asking for. So, yeah. um, and they're using very similar language. I mean, Caden very specifically was like, "Let us basically be free in high school. Like, let us, mm-hmm. you know, choose our paths and pursue them, and or at least more." Uh so you know, it is that work is definitely needed. Uh yeah. in. The space and so, what's something else when you when you think about school and 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 stuff that you've seen that works really well, um, in in terms of it can be assessment or it can just be the community aspect, but in mm-hmm. terms of helping students um, kind of release that because I feel like uh, you know even though we had just had these students on our podcast saying yes I I, I want to um, you know, explore more learning. On the same end, we also heard uh, that the score matters to them, and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like they are entrenched in it because it's 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 what they know. Um, mm-hmm. So, what are some ideas you have or thoughts you mm-hmm. have around you know helping navigate that with with students?
3: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's all kinds of things that we like that aren't good for us, right? <laughs> like I mean, even as adults, we just have to acknowledge that. You know, I wish that I didn't care as much about the likes on a post (laughs) on social media sometimes, but alas, here we are. So I think just recognizing that it's always gonna, nothing's ever gonna be a hundred percent. And there's always gonna be those ego driven tendencies that all of us have, because I really believe that when it comes to points and scores, the response that comes from it is very ego driven because it gives us a basis of comparison so the reason we feel so drawn to it is because there's a hit of dopamine when we realize that we scored better than most of the class (laughs) so it's totally like there's a personal growth question behind all of that right that i think i don't totally have the answer i hope i get better and better as i get older but being okay with just who we are like finding worth in and of ourselves how are we having those kinds of conversations with students, but how are we also doing that work ourselves? I think as educators, if we're going into the classroom space and we haven't done some of that excavation of our own allegiances to a system where we're finding value in things like our scores and our points and our the grades in our classroom, like of course we're gonna uphold some of that same belief in our culture. So it's a bigger question of how do we find worth? How do we, you know, accept all facets of our humanity? How do we find more duality? I always, the line I've been saying a lot recently is we're living in the age of polarities and paradox. Mm. And I think a lot of shame comes from thinking it's this or this. And if I'm not that, then that's a bad thing. And so how can we live in a space where in the education system we say, yeah, you can be intellectual and you can be very you know, knowledgeable, but you can also be emotional. That's human. Like, how do we have this more holistic view of our humanity and learning and i think it starts with us i truly i don't i don't think it was gandhi who gandhi who said this and but i'm going to quote it to him anyways of be the change you want to see in the world i think we have to when we say wellness it's actually some deep difficult work and it's not just a bubble bath and a bottle of wine
0: <laughs> i like the bubble bath that's that's where i know I'm going don't get me anymore. wrong
3: though i love me i love me a good bubble bath and I'm there's jumping in. an element of that too but <laughs>
0: Yeah, I you know it's it's interesting because as you were explaining that, and obviously social emotional learning has become tagline, um, and it's interesting to see schools attempt to continue down the path of one year, two year, uh, mm-hmm. need data behind it, and then add social emotional learning to that <laughs> kind of data set. And it's it's actually yeah. quite humorous to me. I think you could it's. it's <laughs> terrible don't get me wrong like (laughs) you need to really do the humanistic approach and and you know but i think it's 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 humorous to me to watch this happen because you know a train wreck's happening and you're just like yeah this doesn't Mm -hmm. even work so um what are some of the things that that you would suggest especially when we go and i'm just going to use the sel piece here um you know i've seen some pretty cool things and i will say as they are our sponsor but you know um District zero has done some pretty interesting things where, you know, it's, it's student led, but you're right. You know, they ask the three questions, what's a blocker for you. And, and you start mm-hmm. self-assessing. Um, and it's not really competitive. Um, but there is that human aspect. I mean, I still talk to students and we have one-on-ones and things like that, but mm-hmm. where do you see that going? Where do wh- I mean, is this mm-hmm. possible in a system that we have now, or do we have to tear down and re- redo? <laughs>
3: um,
0: You know, because I I think, you know, obviously the Canadian system and the state system are very similar. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What what do you see as the next five years hopefully happening? Well,
3: yeah, if we can take probably like in the States, it's so different province to province as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. So to give an example of a province, I think that's really starting to get it right. B.C., which is right beside us here in Alberta, they have core competencies as, truly the core of the curriculum and personal growth is one of those competencies and everyone across the province is held accountable to that and then the way it's or it's actually a very cool organization if you've ever if you've never seen the bc curriculum on their website so the competencies are in the middle and then down the right hand side it says suggested content mm. so the idea sure. is you can pull from that but what's non-negotiable is that this these competencies are developing and some of my colleagues and friends who are very know, disruptive educators are saying for the first time, like looking around, this is weird. I'm not usually the one that's like aligned with the curriculum and the government. And now they're saying to people like, you're not doing the curriculum for the first time in their career (laughs) because they're like, it's actually there. But of course, that's one place that's BC. It's a complete dumpster fire in Alberta right next door. We've gone back to basics and core knowledge and yay. So what I think is important for people to remember is when it comes to assessment. And when it comes to reporting, and I know this is someone who literally just completely (laughs) redesigned a reporting and a grading system in a school, we have way more autonomy than we've been led to believe way more. And I think we limit our own power constantly. And we have this fear that there's this curriculum police, that's going to find us if we do things differently. And at the core of it, we have these curriculum documents but how we choose to create the experience around that in our classroom is completely up to us. And there is something around social emotional learning in every single curriculum, if you really want to look for it. And the first person I've seen do this really well, um, Sarah Zerwin in her book, Pointless, she's teaching AP uh, English at a high school level, obviously. And she just wrote her own learning goals. She said, okay, I, I see all my standards. Cool, 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 got that, check but I'm gonna write learning goals that actually allow me to cultivate the classroom experience that I want for my students. And so she has some related to who they are as readers, who they are as writers, who they are as community members crafted in language that would really grab the students and help them to see why this is important. But then she also had some around how to accept feedback and how to use feedback. And that's an important part of the, the things that we're working on. And then you just focus your assessment on those goals. So as a do now for anyone listening, if social emotional learning um, how we regulate, how we build relationships, how we understand ourselves is important to you, then put that as one of the learning goals in your classroom. And at the beginning of the year, say, here's what we're going to look at. And let's unpack what these things mean. Let's start building criteria of what they mean. And then actually hold yourself accountable to start gathering evidence and then using that evidence to help students determine next steps. But we can determine what what it is we want to focus on in the classroom. I saw one teacher out in Toronto. She just moved from high school and she'd been doing on grading and she's moving into middle school and was like, oh gosh, you know, I don't know if I can get away with it down here, which is so funny, because depending where someone starts, they always think the other people are the problem. (laughs) I'm like, it's funny because most people say they can't do it in high school, but sure. But she just took a Venn diagram with three circles and said, I just want to focus on the skills. It's what's most important. It comes up in every unit. So she's got like investigating, you know, wondering, I can't remember what the three were off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. but she's like, that's it. That's what I'm going to assess. That's what students are going to help me gather evidence of. That's what we're going to do. So we can just decide (laughs) that that's really important in our space. And then of course, I think we've been dancing around it this whole conversation, but the more that you can remove points and scores, the more you're going to see students take risks and actually engage in the type of experiences that will grow their social, emotional skills.
2: I couldn't agree more with that. And it, it's kind—it's like bringing me back to that space that I mentioned earlier with, you know, when I was a, uh, this idea of, I didn't feel like I had autonomy. You know, I was watching this teacher kind of like burn down in flames for trying to, to remove scores and, and give kids ample and repetitive opportunities mm-hmm. to meet a standard and Like as soon as they met it they you know got all the points or whatnot that wasn't the purpose Mm -hmm. of the class the class was really trying to cultivate themselves as learners but here i am you know a new teacher in the district and i'm seeing that somebody who's trying to be progressive and disrupt the system is literally is struggling so for Mm -hmm. me it's one of these these areas where you know it is empowering teachers to believe they have that power um Mm -hmm is it has to be a huge part of it because I know myself and many people that I have have worked with and talked with over the years is is they don't believe they they have as much you know autonomy um in and and that could be self-induced it could be the environment the classroom the mm-hmm. district you know all these layers but I think you know if, I, if I'm dreaming out five years from now I, I think it is part of it is empowering students, it is removing the score, and it is really coaching a, a, a set of educators that grew up in a system that was all about points and scores. And, you know, it's like us talking about all the unlearning that we've had to do. I know, a majority of my educator friends would have to unlearn and be okay releasing the score from their mm-hmm. classrooms because that's their bread and butter. That's how they know, and um, and it it can be isolating at times in a bigger school district or a bigger school to be kind of the pioneer um, totally. and not sure like how that's all gonna all gonna yeah. shake
3: out. Sometimes I sometimes wonder, Allie, as you're speaking, like when I think of my experiences and why things didn't blow up in my face, like I've heard happen for some. People, I think my avenue in was more instructional design. Um, So I was thinking, because I come from a theater background, I have a performing arts background. So I was naturally always thinking about how to create these more community-based performance type experiences in my social studies class or my English, English class. And I think if you get kids fired up enough about what it is they're doing in class, like they really care about it and it's authentic and connected to the real world, conversations about points and scores become like, why would I care about that? I'm about to, you know, one of my favorite ones is this marketplace project. We did the social entrepreneurship marketplace. I'm about to release my product to the entire school community and sell it for real money. I don't give a shit (laughs) what points you think it's worth. Like, I think that can be those two things have to be happening in tandem. My fear sometimes and this is echoed by you know a lot of my colleagues is when we get so hung up on looking for a silver bullet um, we don't tend to look at the complexity or the duality of the issue. So just removing points and scores isn't gonna be the answer to all of education's problems. They're, right it's so multifaceted and I was already doing a very different classroom experience. So that like removing grades kind of was like a shrug. Like people were like, okay, whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> cool. <laughs> but I could see if you're in like, you know maybe a classroom environment where it still does feel very like direct instruction heavy. A lot of having to get through content like it might feel that that could become a red herring a little bit for people to get hung up on.
2: Definitely a red herring. It's something to just kind of like work through, and and it, it might be different in Canada and 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 obviously different school districts. But it's just it's interesting to me, like how, and what you said about like when you when you pull the thread, Mm -hmm. like so many stuff comes unraveling. And and I know, I I went through that whole journey. Like, it's, you know, the last year that I taught grading and scores and everything was, yeah, I had tests. Yeah, they had points. And but every single year, I continued to kind of diminish the uh, like, uh, how much uh, kind of attention we put on that and, and more into Getting kids excited about what they are learning about, and 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 that was through my own dissatisfaction with kids focusing on a score, um, totally. and rather than <laughs> what they were learning from the experience.
3: Totally, I think we have to be careful of the orthodoxy of like anything we do too, because I think of a year when I had completely gone. You know, I don't, I don't like to put labels on things because then people think this is the box. But I had one student where I wasn't, I had said, this is why I don't put scores on feedback. We're gonna have this conversation. We're gonna reflect later on. He was relentless about it. And as I got to know his family and I understood some dynamics that were going on there, his dad lived overseas, he was never home. You know, the only thing he wanted to know was the points and scores. That's all you'd ask about. Like this poor kid, he's 12 years old and like, this is causing so much turmoil and he's already missing his dad and just wants a reason to be able to connect with like in those moments you're not going to be like well the research shows that when we add them <laughs> like whatever I'll put a score on it like I think it's just one of those things where it's education is so complex and dynamic and human that we have to embrace these ideas but never be so rigid that you know we're missing those opportunities like back to Mar- margaret wheatley's theory to really understand that relationship and to be responsive to the relationship first and foremost and then not put the process or the structure above that
0: and to go along with that i had a conversation with a student you know through you know the covid uh, era or wherever we are i don't even know because <laughs> mm-hmm. but um but you know, he, he missed a lot of school, but we've already we already created a place where flexible learning could happen. And, you know, like I said, I think I mentioned this before, to you, Allie, is you know, he had to take care of his sister who was very young, and that's why he wasn't showing up. But the system looks at that, like you said, if you don't have that human like to human conversation, um, you know, I feel good. Like with with the student you were talking about, Natalie, I'm like, yeah, here's mm-hmm. 50 out of 50. I'll, it'll just make totally. you look like a superhero to the old man, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, like, so, <laughs> Do
3: you want a sticker? Um, I can put a scratch and stamp, like, yeah. you know, screen <laughs> <Straight> up. I'm <laughs> like, sometimes you just got to roll it.
0: <laughs> so I wanted to uh, to round out here. So you have this empowerment ecosystem. I'm, I'm very yeah. curious to know about this um, just because I think uh, a lot of educators, including Allie and I, are are really in that space to, wow, what if, you know, um, mm. and, and you've reminded me of the yes and. Um, I'm here in Chicago, so second city, yeah. you know, oh, yes Okay, nice. <laughs> Uh that's mm-hmm. the, the theater background mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. my head that's going on right now, um, which by the way, my speech and drama class was literally the course that launched me into becoming a crazy person to stand in front of people and, and do improvising and oh. teaching and whatever. So. That's a story for another time, but I always yes, have a, a, like a special place in my heart for people who understand and have done deep studies in theater. I have not, but um, but how do you, how, tell us a little bit about you know how people can connect with you? How how can people get involved in the empowerment ecosystem yeah. and and work with you? And where is Educrush, the podcast?
3: Yeah, well, best way to get in touch with me is Twitter. I spend a lot of time on there. <laughs> Love my Twitter. Um, it's at Natabasso. And I'm sure there's many ways you can link to that. And if you're interested in the empowerment ecosystem, because it's early in its creation, we're launching the beta version with the cohort in October. Um, The best way, if you wanted to get involved, is just reach out, send me a DM on Twitter. Even if we're not connected through there, we're not following each other, I think you can still send me a DM. And if you're just like, I heard about it, I'm curious, tell me more. I feel like the best way is a one-on-one conversation because I always build from identity and relationship first. So I like to understand where people are at, what they're dealing with, where they're wanting to go. And then, you know, if this is a good fit for them to be empowered, to do that work and to really center student voice in this thing we mm-hmm. call assessment and grading. Um, and then the podcast it's, I, what are you supposed to say everywhere? You get good podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's on Spotify. It's on Apple, I think we're on stitcher, Google, it's all those places. So it's me and I have a co-host, uh, Alex. He's a high school biology teacher and we have new episodes every Monday.
0: Science science educators make the best co-host, Allie.
3: <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Allie and Alex,
0: like, this is yeah. weird, but I like this. I know, they I'm like pretty this, sure, like, like I said,
3: before we hit recording, I'm like, we legit are like podcast soulmates. <laughs> like, right. The music, the topic, the co-hosts, like, come on. It's love crazy. Love it,
0: love it. Allie, any final thoughts that you have?
3: loved hearing about
2: i don't know i'm just picturing this new sweater that we're taking the thread <laughs> that we unraveled from one and now we're building it into a new vision that's what mm-hmm. i when you we were talking the whole time that was what i kept thinking about
3: mm, i like love it. it and what does that sweater look like I'm thinking
0: of
2: mm. sweater i don't know song now. Mm.
0: you know that's <laughs> in my head so maybe I'll end it. Oh, yeah. If I can get Weezer to sign off on this, Perfect. maybe I'll, I'll have them this way. Yeah, no song. problem. Natalie, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your journey and your expertise. Uh, the podcast is You Crush. Uh, we'll put all your uh, Twitter information and Connect information down low. But thank you so much for hanging out with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. For Allie Privet, I'm Peter Hostrosser. We'll catch you next time on Disrupt Education.